Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. All right, good morning. Say good morning to somebody by you. We don't normally do that, but just say good morning to somebody. It's good to see some people out here this morning. And man, it's like if you look this way, you can't see anybody but lights. But I think there's people back there. Man, I want you to say this with me. Go ahead and say, summer Summer. is here. Summer is here, guys. If you don't believe me, just step outside. And how many of you guys, just a quick little poll, love summer? Like summer is your season. Yeah, there's some hands going up. Right? I love summer. I love, I love just what summer brings. For us, we have what we call Family Friday in our home. And Family Friday during the summertime is we are at the beach. Anybody here like the beach? A couple people. Some of you are like, why would you want to get sand all over you? That makes no sense to me at all. And I respect you and I'll pray for you. Uh, but we, we, just, we love just enjoying time together. And what I want you to know this morning is this. The summertime comes with great potential. In fact, I believe it has more potential than any other season, especially in our climate and where we are. And I'm going to help you understand this morning what the potential is of the summer. Before I do, I want to read to you one of the last commandments that Jesus gave his disciples. And this wasn't just for his disciples in the first century. It wasn't just those who were gathered around him in that space. This is for you today if you are a follower of Christ. If you believe Jesus is your Savior, He's your Lord, He's the one who dictates your life, you've surrendered to Him, He's made you new, you're walking in His blessing, this is a command for you. And maybe you've heard it before, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of, say these two words with me, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey how much? Everything. Everything I've commanded you. So this is one of the final commands that Jesus gives. It's been called the Great Commission. What's interesting about that phrase, though, is Jesus never calls it the Great Commission. It's just kind of what we've come to call it, but it is a commission or a command that God gave his followers. Go make disciples, but the point I want to focus on is those two words you said, all nations. Now, when you hear that, you and I should be overwhelmed by the magnitude of that statement. (laughs) That should cause, what are you, all nations? Like seven billion plus, Jesus? How in the world are we supposed to, like we're, we're a strong church of 150 and, and how are we going to make a difference in all nations? And that can crush us when we read that if we take it literally, which I believe we should. So how do we go and make disciples of all nations? The way we do that is you and I go and be disciple makers in our world. And what I mean by that is this your neighborhood, your community, the people that God has positioned around you and in your life. So just think about this from a mathematical standpoint. If every single person, just that Blaze Church where we are, 
would say, yes, I'm going to adopt my world. I'm going to adopt the neighborhood God has placed me in, and I'm going to reach the people closest to me with the gospel. Then all nations becomes very bite-sized, right? You've heard this before. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? I've never met anybody that's actually ate an elephant, though. Like, can you eat elephant? That's kind of weird. I feel like we shouldn't do that. They, they're probably endangered, right? But how do we do this, Jesus? All nations... Well, we start focusing on those closest to us. So here's the point of this series, Backyard Church. I want you to realize throughout the month of June that the home that you are in, whether you rent it, own it, whether it's an apartment, whether you're living at your parents' place, your own, wherever it is, the place where you will go today to sleep, that place has potential. If you will surrender it to the Lord, and say, this is not mine. You gave this to me. You placed me here. Give me eyes to see those around me. That's a backyard church. That's you and I realizing our very homes, where we are, are places where people might come to know God. Not independently of the local church, but in partnership of what we are doing this morning. And so I just want to let you know, this series is going to bring with it conviction, we are going to fight each other in your mind, right? We're going to go back and forth about this throughout the month of June. But if you and I would be open and receptive to what we discovered throughout this month, I'm telling you, you are going to have one of the greatest summers of your life. I promise you. Because if you've ever had the opportunity to lead someone who does not know God to know God, you know that that is one of the greatest blessings that we experience. To watch someone go from dead to alive, to born again. And I want you to discover how to do that this month. But in order to do that, we've got to ask this question first. And it's this. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor. Now, what's so interesting about this question, we're going to read it in scripture. There's actually a lawyer who asks this question. So a really smart guy asks what I'm going to call a very simple, silly question. <laughs> because if you're not in a church context and you ask somebody, who is your neighbor? Do you know what they're going to tell you? The person who lives next door to me. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, but that's not the churchy answer. You got to understand, there's a churchy answer for who is my neighbor. Does anybody here just wave at you? know the churchy answer? Okay. So if you know the churchy answer, you're actually at a disadvantage today. <laughs> if you don't know what the churchy answer is to who is my neighbor, and you see that, and you're just already thinking of Joe who lives next door, you're already ahead of those who know the churchy answer. So today, if you know the churchy answer to the question, who is my neighbor, you have to unlearn before you can learn today, and that's very hard. Most of the time we come together, you come in and you say, okay, I'm going to learn about God. I'm going to know about God. Today, you've actually got to do some unlearning, that answer, the churchy answer, which we're going to discover together, and then you can break down what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor. Now, to do that, we are going to read about an interaction between a lawyer and Jesus. And I love this. It's found in Luke chapter 10, so you can turn there if you've got your Bible. And what's so interesting about this, I, I think it, it reads like a good joke, like a lawyer and Jesus walk into the bar. Like, it's just, it's got that kind of a feel to it where they're just kind of going back and forth. And we get to just listen in and look at their conversation 
and discover our big idea, how do we reach all nations with the gospel this morning? So Luke chapter 10 starts off this way. Verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law, so this isn't just like a a baseline lawyer, this is an expert in the law. He stood up to test Jesus, and here's his test. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the very first thing that the lawyer, the expert in the law does, is he makes it all about himself. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what I like about what Luke writes here is he gives us the motive for the lawyer's interaction with Jesus. What's his motive there? He stood up to what? Test him. He didn't come to Jesus with a genuine question of, I really want to understand this better. I'm following God. I'm living out the law, but I need to know, am I doing it right? His motivation is, I want to see if I'm smarter than Jesus. I want to test him. And he comes and he asks the big question. And honestly, it's the big question that maybe you've asked before, or I know people in your life are asking. What do I have to do to live forever? And maybe it's worded this way. How do I get to heaven? How do I know that, that there's more to this life than just what I see around me? Because every single person that you and I interact with, there's something in them that knows they were created for more than just what we see around us. Why? Because we're all made in God's image. There's that aspect of us being image bearers of God that knows there's got to be more. It's got to be more than just death and taxes. There's got to be more, something more consistent to my life than just achieving the home or getting the promotion or getting the marriage, having the kids. There's got to be more. And this expert in the law is saying, what do I have to do to know what the more is? How do I inherit eternal life? How do I enter God's kingdom? And Jesus, I think just knowing that he's interacting with a lawyer figures, I'm not going to give you an answer. I'm going to ask you a question back. And so they, this is where they go at it with each other a little. Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So I'm not going to just, this isn't going to be a free answer. Come on, expert in the law. You've read it. What do you see? And look what he says. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And I want you to say these words with me. And love your neighbor as yourself. So what the lawyer does when Jesus says, okay, you want to know how to live forever. You want to know what eternal life is. How do you read it? You know the law. And the lawyer responds by summarizing more than 600 commandments and says, it's love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm sure that those gathered around leaned in a little bit more to know, was he right? Like, did he get it? No one ever gets it right. Like what's, Jesus is probably going to tell us some story about seeds or birds or something that we're not going to understand. There's no way he got, this is going to be good. Did he get it right? And look at what Jesus says in the next verse. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Guys, this never happens. (laughs) Like, The lawyer gets it right. Jesus throws a question his way and he actually, you've answered correctly. Now just do it. Go ahead, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, 
This is where the moment should end. If I'm the lawyer, I leave that moment, I go and I open up a t-shirt shop that says, I got it right. And I sell shirts and I get coffee mugs and I make sure everybody knows, yes, hi, my name's Keith. I'm the only one to get it right when Jesus asks a question. Like he should have just done that. He had all the tools he needed. In fact, he showed up with the tools. He knew, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But we have a lawyer, everybody. And if I learned anything when I served on jury duty, it's that the lawyer wants to get the last word, right? So look at what we got. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus our question. And who is my neighbor? First thing we notice is there's a little bit of pride in this guy because he wants to justify himself in front of whoever's listening to the conversation. He wants to make sure that he's nailing the answer here, that everybody knows he got it right. But he asks a weird question. Like, Guys, this is a weird question to ask, isn't it? Who is my neighbor? Like, what does he mean when he asks? Like, does he not know who he lives around? Does Does he not know who's in the next house next to him? Why would he say, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself? Jesus says that's exactly what you have to do. Now go do it. Why does he even ask who my neighbor, who his neighbor is? And this is what sets the stage for us to get a churchy answer. Why did he ask it, though, is what I wondered this week. And I thought through some things. Maybe he asked who his neighbor was because he knew who his neighbor was, and it was somebody that he didn't want to love. Maybe the reason why he wants clarity on who his neighbor is is because his neighbor decides to mow their lawn at 9 p.m. at night. (laughs) Maybe maybe he just asked, I just need to know who my neighbor is because I live next to a tax collector. I live next to a Roman soldier. I just, I really want to just understand who is my neighbor. See, what the lawyer is actually asking here is not who is my neighbor, but who is not my neighbor, because I want to know who I have to love and who I don't have to love. Is there a way where we can bring some non-literal application to the love your neighbor commandment and just kind of blow it up generically and metaphorically, and then we start to pick and choose who we have to love. And so he asked a weird question, and I'm glad he asked it, because honestly, he asks the question that you and I ask as well if we have some hard-to-love people living around us. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus, in Jesus' fashion, answers with a story. And it might be one that you've heard before, and I want to read it in its entirety and then walk us through it. But here's Jesus' reply, Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man, who is the race that he's speaking to at this point, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Don't miss verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them And then he put the man on his own donkey, 
and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bills run higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. How many of you have heard that story before or have heard the phrase Good Samaritan before? Well, this is where that phrase Good Samaritan originates from. Right here on Long Island, we have hospital, Good, good Sam. So what is Jesus focused on when he responds to the question of the lawyer, who is my neighbor? If you notice, he doesn't even answer the question for him. He doesn't give him a straight, here's who your neighbor is. Instead, Jesus answers the question that the lawyer should have asked, which was this, how can I be a loving neighbor to whoever? That's what Jesus is focused on in his story of the Good Samaritan. How can I be a loving neighbor? But let's not forget who we're dealing with in this lawyer. We have someone who first comes to test Jesus, and then as the conversation moves on, he wants to justify how good he is. Remember his first question? To test him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer is very focused on his own goodness, on his own abilities to love others. And so Jesus tells a beautifully written story by taking the Jewish lawyer, inserting him into the story, not as the hero, but as the victim. Isn't that interesting? Like Jesus is a master storyteller. He begins and says, there's a Jewish man. And the lawyer's got to be thinking, oh, he's going to talk about how great I am. I mean, after all, I I got the answer right. (laughs) I'm, I'm good at this. And he inserts him in and says, the Jewish man was completely beat up. And two other really good religious Jewish people come along, a priest and a temple assistant. To us today, that would be like me and and Joe. We're walking down the street and Joe's got his guitar and we see someone beat up and Joe's like, I got to write a song. I got no time for you. And I'm like, no, no, I got to go prepare a sermon. I've got no time for you. And then for this culture, they get, notice the phrase, a despised Samaritan. Really, the villain of the Jewish people. Just without getting too much history, Jews and Samaritans did not see eye to eye on anything. If you want to think of a not neighbor, you get yourself a Jewish person and a Samaritan living next to each other. That's a not neighbor. Because the Samaritans at some point were Jewish people who intermarried with other nations and started to change and adopt the law differently. They set up their own temple at a different site than Jerusalem. They cut pieces out of the Torah. They they focused on different elements. And so the Jews would look at them and say, you are not one of us, you are despised. In fact, tradition says that even if they had the word Samaritan, they would spit on the ground in some circles to show their hate for those people. And so Jesus being asked who is my neighbor doesn't tell him who his neighbor is because again, it's a silly question, but says, here's how you should be a loving neighbor. You should be like the despised Samaritan. But instead of just telling him this, Jesus wants him to come to the realization. So Jesus ends this way. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And I love the response in verse 37, something I never picked up on before. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. What I didn't see until this week as I was just studying is notice the Jewish 
lawyer can't even say Samaritan in his response. You see that? He literally can't say the Samaritan was the hero. Instead, he just says the one who showed him mercy. And I've got to just think, and this is my own opinion and thought in that moment, the way that those words had to leave his mouth for him to actually give honor and praise to a despised Samaritan. He says it was the one. I can't believe he did it because he's not a good guy, but it was the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus just says what he's already said to him in the conversation. Go and do this. The same thing that we read at the beginning of our time together. Go and make disciples. So so great about our God is that while there is mystery to him, he's also made so many things so plain to us who know him. And so simple. Go. Yeah, Yeah, but what else? (laughs) Go. (laughs) There's got to be more though, Lord. No, just just go. Just, Just do this. Love your neighbor. Love God with everything you have. Really live a surrendered life to the power of God. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and go make disciples. So how in the world, 2,000 years later, have we walked away from that moment and that story with a churchy answer? And honestly, I don't know. (laughs) But for some reason, if you know what the churchy answer is, is this. When you are asked the question, who is your neighbor in a church setting, what's the answer? We say something like this everybody is my neighbor. Isn't that the churchy answer? Everyone's my, where'd you get that from? I don't know, the story about Jesus, a Samaritan, somewhere Jesus, everyone's my neighbor. Okay, so I think we've overcomplicated this a little bit. And I don't think that that's wrong to say that we're called to love everybody, but I am having a hard time wrapping my head around how I can say that everybody is my neighbor when everybody doesn't live around me. And the term neighbor simply means those who are close to you. So Jesus says in this story, here's how to be a loving neighbor. But he never once says, by the way, every single person is your neighbor, right? We didn't read that, but somehow we've asserted that and inserted that into the text and it's not there. And what we do is this, when we try to love, everything end up loving no one. And if we are not intentionally metaphorical love for our metaphorical neighbors. (laughs) See, what we do, guys, when we just lean into this, everybody is my neighbor thing, and I've done this, so I'll speak about me, not about us. I can look at the people across the street from me, literally, who are neighbors, and I can bypass loving them because they're weird or they're making too much noise or they haven't mowed their lawn yet, and I have, and I have company coming over, or no, nah, we just don't interact with them. We've never said hi, and I've lived here for 10 years now, and so it would be awkward, so I'll just wait till they move out and new neighbors move in, and then I'll start it over, and then it won't be as weird, and I'll bring them a pie, and we'll do the whole thing that I should have done 10 years ago, right? I, you, by the awkward laughter, that's because you understand exactly what I'm saying. What we do is we get this metaphorical love for everybody, and then we completely look past those who actually live right around us in our homes. See, what we do is what the lawyer did. We look for a loophole. I want to read you the verse in the message translation because I love how Eugene Peterson puts it. Verse 29, looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? (laughs) Isn't that great? Like, again, 
It's a weird question to ask. You shouldn't have to ask who your neighbor is. You just have to open your door and look across the street. But this lawyer has the same tension that you and I have. I didn't choose my neighbors, Jesus. And if I could choose them, I certainly wouldn't have chose them. And so you define neighbor, and it certainly can't be as simple as it's the people around us. But loving people around the world doesn't make the person across the street any less a neighbor than you guys. You can have love for people in all nations, and you should. You should be able to interact with anybody of any race, any lifestyle, any decision, any religious setting. You should be able to love that person. That does not give you the excuse to not love your literal neighbor. Because the great commandment, not the great commission, because it's never called that, but the great commandment, as per Jesus' words, when he is asked by another expert, what's the greatest commandment? He responds with the same thing the lawyer said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment, according to Jesus, is to love your neighbor. So at this point, you and I should be thinking some things. We should be thinking, one, old pastor, you don't know my neighbor. And if you knew my neighbor, you wouldn't love them either. (laughs) So if you're thinking that, I have the gift of mind reading, okay? Or you're thinking this, I don't know my neighbor. So how am I supposed to love my neighbor when I don't actually know them? So here's the question we're discussing. We put on the screen just so we can have it there. Do you love your literal neighbor? That's the question we're wrestling through today as we start this series, Backyard Church. And I want you to think right now, do you love your literal neighbor, the people that live next to you, across the street from you? However your street is arranged, you might have to go down a few hundred yards to find your first neighbor. That's fine. But I want you to think through specifically this number eight, the eight closest homes to where you live. Do you literally love those literal neighbors? Does this matter? I want to share with you a verse that Paul shares in Acts, and I want you to see how much this actually matters, because it may seem like, man, this, this series has no application for my life. I mean, I'm doing a great job loving my coworkers. I love my friends. I've built a great community around me. We all share hobbies and interests. We're, we're moving in the same direction. Those are the people who are far from God that I'm trying to reach. That's great, but I want you to see that actually where you live does matter, and it's not by chance that you live there. Look at what Paul says in, in Acts From one man, he, that's God, has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Translation, your lot on a tax map has been determined by God for you to live there. If you actually take this literally, that it's God's word for your life. Like if we actually believe what Paul is declaring, that God himself determined for you to live in the time that you live in and the place that you live in, that he set the boundary for you, then it is not an accident that you live where you live and that you didn't actually choose that place because you like the floor plan, because of the school system, because it fit your budget. You may think that, But God, your creator, and if you're a disciple of Jesus, then him, your master and Lord, has actually said, this is the place where you are to live because this is the place where you are to make a difference. 
And that should inspire us, guys. Like when you return home later, what I want you to do when you walk through that door is I want you to first give God thanks and praise and say this, Lord, thank you for choosing this place for me to live in. Give him praise for it. Because he's the one who brought you there. He's the one who created that place for you. So there's motivation for us to love our neighbors because God placed us to a bigger motivation. And it's the gospel. The reason why you and I should love our literal neighbors is because that is exactly what God did for us. Let me read you a verse, John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Maybe you're familiar with it this way. The word dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. I love this translation that Jesus became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. He came to our world and we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Guys, the gospel is this, that God saw us from afar and Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came close, moved into our neighborhood, took on flesh and blood. Don't you understand? God could have caused any plan he wanted to happen. He could have just snapped his fingers and sin could have been done away with. He could have just started over. And yet he chooses to come close to us because it is very hard to love somebody when you are not close to them. And so Jesus comes close to us. He dies in our place. You know, in the story of the Good Samaritan, we see the Jewish person who is the victim and the despised Samaritan who becomes the hero. And for us today, we have a true and better Samaritan who is despised for us. We have Jesus who is rejected the same way that Jewish man would have rejected a Samaritan. So Jesus comes to this world and is rejected by the people that he created And he binds up our wounds by how? Being wounded himself. By his stripes, we are healed. He comes and he pays the price for us. And it's more than just two silver coins that the good Samaritan used. He pays the price of his own life. His blood is shed for us. You have the greatest of neighbors in Jesus today. You have one who paid the price for you. And so we love others because God first loved us. So where do we start? Because we need a starting point. We've got a whole lot of gospel motivation in our hearts. I hope today that you're understanding the, the command to love your neighbor does involve your literal neighbor. But where do we even start with this? Because for some of you, maybe like me, I've lived in my home. It'll be 10 years this January. You might say, yeah, but I've lived here so long and I haven't maybe a handful of times interacted with my neighbor. And it's been awkward exchanges when we both accidentally get the mail at the same time. And then you have to be like, oh, hey, getting my mail and I'm going fast because I don't want to talk to you right now. So you've had those exchanges. So how in the world do we even backtrack this when that's our culture? So I'm going to give you a very easy starting point. And I'm also going to very, very heavily encourage you to come back for the rest of this series because we're really going to get into the weeds this month on this. But here's the starting point, and it's this. It's hard to love someone if you don't even know their name. It's very hard to love somebody 
if you just know them as weird guy or the guy who cares about his lawn a lot more than I do or bro or buddy or you or that it's hard to love someone when you've created a nickname for them and so the starting point if you want to take this on if today and this isn't this isn't for everybody I'd say that this is for you if you are a follower of Jesus then yes it's for you because it's the greatest commandment love your neighbor that includes your literal neighbor if you want to honor God and obey this commandment, you need a starting point, and the starting point is simply to know the names of your neighbors. So how do we do that? Well, first, let me tell you how we don't do that, because I don't want Blaze Church to get a crazy reputation in your neighborhood, all right? You are not going to go and knock on the doors of your neighbor's house this week and ask them for their name. It's weird. Don't do that, okay? You probably have enough door knockers in your own neighborhood from different sects of faith and all that. Don't do that. That's weird, okay? So we're not going to start there. We're going to start with a resource that you're going to receive when you leave today. And we've got a picture of it on the screen. It looks like this. Everyone's going to get a block map today. All right, a little block map. In fact, it was funny because I had somebody say when they were setting up, like, I thought these were for for the kids. These are handouts. Like, no, this is for the adults. Today we get to color. All right, so you're going to get one of these on your way out. Every single person, even if if you're here with your spouse, it's fine. Two is good because you'll need them. So... You are here, okay, I'm going to make this real simple, and what you are going to do over this week and next week and this month, and ne- this is going to take some time, okay, so for those of you overachievers that think if you get this done by tomorrow, you get bonus points, that's not this, all right, this is going to take some time because it's going to be organic, it's not going to be awkward, okay, you are going to discover the names of your neighbors, and you might say, okay, my street looks nothing like this, that's fine, neither does mine, okay, Back here is trains in my house, okay? So that's okay. You are just going to start thinking through who are the eight closest homes to me where I live. And again, you may have to go down the block a little bit. For you, it may just end up being where you live. There's only three. There's four of you right there on a dead end. That's okay, all right? Just take a deep breath. I I really got to speak to my type A people right now. Because if I don't fill in every box, it doesn't count. And the type B are like, man, I got one. I'm done. This is awesome. All right, so you're going to do your best here. You're going to fill this in. Okay, so you're going to get one of these. Now, here's what you're going to do. And some of you may be able to start doing this, and that's awesome. But you're going to just begin to write down the names of the people who live in that home. They're they're literal names. And if they have kids, you're going to write down their kids' names. And then where this is going to go is it's actually going to go on your fridge. Okay, because I believe that everyone has one of those in some way. If not, then just put it somewhere where you're going to see it regularly. So this is cool. This is like back when you got homework and you put your homework on the fridge, right? And if you want a star, bring it back next week. I'll put a star if it makes you feel better, Uh, but you don't need that. But you're going to put that there because it's going to be your reminder, one, to discover the names of your neighbors. And then once you have the names, it's your reminder to begin praying for your neighbors by name. Because, hey, bro, is good, but it's not as good as... Hey, Martin, how are you? And, you know, hey, you. (laughs) We've all done that awkward thing. You can't remember their name. You don't know their name. Okay, so let me give you a couple things you can say in that moment because you're going to have opportunities this week. You will. I believe that. I've been praying for that. You don't have to go knock on their doors. God is going to create divine opportunities. If he's the one who set the boundary for you to live where you live, he's the one who create divine opportunities. Too often, though, we're moving so fast that we miss his opportunities. That's why next week we're going to talk about the time barrier to engaging with our neighbors. And then we're going to talk about the fear barrier to engaging with our neighbors. But you're going to have opportunities this week. And when that comes up, here's some statements to say. 
Hi, my name's Keith. What's your name? <laughs> yep, it's that simple. Now, you may have lived there for a while, and so you can make it a little longer and simply say, hey, yeah, my name's Keith. We've lived here for so long, and I never got your name. Just, it's that simple, guys. Yeah. Or if you know their name, but you can't remember it, just admit it. Hey, I'm so sorry. I forgot your name. What's your name again? Yeah. Like, that, that's, this is like just, you didn't know. You thought you were going to church. You come in a social etiquette 101, okay? <laughs> just how to engage with people who are not on a screen, okay? We got to learn that. Just find out their name, because again, it's really hard to love somebody if you don't know their name. So we're going to start here. And throughout this summer, you're going to realize how your backyard or front yard or living room or whatever it is, that's just the way we branded the series, but how your place where you live is actually a place where people might know God. Because God puts you there for a reason. God has a plan for your life, and that includes your home. And there are people all around you who need to know Jesus, just like you and I do. In fact, we're going to respond with a song this morning called How I Need You because we need him, don't we? We need the presence of God every day. We need the grace of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And as we sing this song, I want you to think of two things. First, I want you to think of gratitude. That this morning, if you're singing out Jesus, how I need you and you know him, be thankful that he has met that need in your life by coming and moving into the neighborhood for you. But I also want you to start thinking through the literal neighbors in your neighborhood. Well, maybe they're singing out this song and they don't even know they're singing it out. But they're declaring, I need Jesus every time they turn to a substance to numb some pain. Every time they think another job opportunity or a different marriage or another move is going to satisfy me, what they're doing is they're singing out, Jesus, how I need you. And God in his grace has positioned you to be the light in your neighborhood, has positioned you, has set the boundary for you to begin to know your neighbor and love your neighbor. That's what this series is all about. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me because I wanna pray a special blessing over you. We're gonna sing out to God this morning. God is going to do amazing things as we surrender to him. I'll share with you a story that I heard this week. Worship team, you could join me on stage. Now, I was sharing with different people the message throughout the week. I get feedback on what things make sense, what things don't make sense. And so some people were aware of the content of where we were headed. And they were sharing with me a moment that God created for them to discover their neighbor. And this is going to sound made up, but it's not because this is how cool God is. And so they get a delivery to their house that's not for them. Now, in my case, if it was DoorDash ice cream, I would have kept it because <laughs> I'm not as holy as other people in this building. It wasn't ice cream. It wasn't DoorDash. It was a delivery of some items, and they realized it wasn't for them. And so they had to figure out whose it was, but there wasn't an address because it was for them. And so they started to think, okay, who around us has people in their house who would need these items? There were some kid items in there. And so they went around. This is late at night. Actually found the neighbor where it belonged and got to find out their name that way. Like, how cool is that, guys? Can we give God some praise that he's the God who organizes those kind of moments? You might look and just say, okay, weird. that's a weird coincidence. Not when you believe that you walk by the Holy Spirit and that he orders every single step you take. You start to see those moments and say, God has a plan for my life in such a way that if I'm going to be ready and receptive to know my neighbors, then he's going to give me opportunity to know them, and he will. And so I want to pray right now, not that God will give you the opportunities, because he's going to do it but that you'd be ready 
and receptive to make the most of those opportunities this week. That you would know your neighbor's names and start there so that you might love them. So would you open your hands before the Lord this morning? I think it's always fitting when we want something to say, God, I'm, I want something. God, this morning what we want is we want to be ready because we know you are. Because we know that you're going to provide opportunities this week for us to know our neighbors' names. For us to discover the names of those who maybe we've lived around for years and we forgot them or we never got them. So Lord, I thank you that you are faithful and I pray right now over each person in this space, those online, that we would begin to love our literal neighbors. That we would see life change happen if all nations are to discover what it means to be a disciple, then Lord, it's going to take all believers to start adopting their neighborhoods and their streets, that we would make a difference in this world that way. And so God, I thank you that you are faithful and we cry out now to you how we need you so desperately. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Guys, let's give God a shout of praise this morning for what he's going to do.